What's up, y'all? This is Dave Stovall hosting the Disciple Makers podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. In this episode, our point leader, Bobby Harrington, interviews Brendan Gindin. And this is part of our author series that we're going through in our discipleship.org collective, which you can sign up for a free account today and catch live videos like this one at discipleship.org slash collective. Brandon is the lead pastor at Real Life Ministries Texas, and he has an awesome book called Disciple Making Culture. If you've ever been in a leadership position, you know how hard it is to shift the culture of an organization. In North America, we have a desperate need for shifting church culture to a disciple making culture, and we've got a lot of work to do. This book is super helpful in describing the why and the how behind that shift. But you know what? You didn't click on this episode because you wanted to hear Dave Stovall's thoughts about this book. So let's jump in and hear Bobby interviewing Brandon about his book. Hi, everybody. My name is Bobby Harrington, and I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, I'm here with my friend Brandon Gindin, and we've come together to talk about his book that came out not too long ago called Disciple Making Culture cultivating thriving disciple makers throughout your church. And I've just got to say that I think this is the best book on disciple making culture that's out there. Uh, I'm proud that it's a discipleship.org resource. And I'm really grateful for Brandon's partnership and that he gets to be with us today. And I hope you find it super encouraging as you think about disciple making. Let me tell you that um, what we're going to talk about by talking about this book is what it takes to create a disciple-making culture throughout a church. So before we get into the specifics, I just wanted Brandon to tell everybody, first of all, to bring greetings. And then, Brandon, if you would tell everybody a little bit about your background, and if you would go back to your time at Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho, with Jim Putman, and bring us up to the present, where you're at in Houston, Texas. Yeah, great. Um, it's great to be with you, Bobby. I um, appreciate this time and always our time uh, together. Um, my background, a little a bit of history, is I uh, started in ministry in 1999, uh, a year after Real Life Ministries was planted in Post Falls by Jim Putman and Aaron Couch and those first families that were part of that. Uh, I came on staff uh uh, shortly after it was planted as our first small groups pastor and uh, was right there in the trench with Jim Putman and, and us uh, when uh, learning and growing of what it meant to be and live out, uh, be a disciple-making church. Now, Brandon, hey, let me just interject here. Uh, if I remember right, uh, your background was actually not uh, training in ministry. Uh, tell us a little bit about your training at that time. I know since then you've done a master's in uh, uh, Christian leadership, but at that time, I don't think you had a lot of seminary education. That that's correct. Yeah, I, I started. I was working in the in the medical field. Um, I graduated with a bachelor's degree and and was working in the in the medical field. And um, guys at Real Life invested in me and saw a call in my life. And so I was working in the secular world and stepped away from that and answered a call to ministry. And uh, um, came on uh, the team very early. Um, there's about 200 folks part of the church there at Real Life, and and uh, as as I said, as our small groups pastor, and got the opportunity to start um, there and growing and learning that, and 
and my in my background, I did not grow up in the church. <clears throat> and so um, Jim used to tease me a lot about it is that I asked a lot of annoying questions and, and uh, didn't have a lot of, uh, well, that's the way we've always done it. And so uh, challenged a lot of the norms kind of of church in the normal box and and used to, uh, as I said, ask Jim a lot of frustrating questions and and he and I and, and the team there together and, and started building a, the small groups um, structure and um, started training and developing leaders and new disciple makers and was able to be there at Real Life um, in Post Falls for 14 years and um, was able to lead and, and build that small groups ministry to over 650 small groups and to be a part of our churches uh, that we planted and be a part of the growth there and um, to see uh, that ministry grow and, and um, be to where it is today. And so... Um, now, Brandon, yeah. you're for several years there, I think about a decade, didn't you serve as executive uh, minister, executive pastor on staff? Yeah, it was about seven years. So I spent the first seven um, in small groups and then the next seven um, as executive pastor and um, overseeing all of the disciple making parts of real life and and being able to kind of take what Jim would vision cast or talk about from the from the pulpit and really put that into practical application and how we were living that out on staff and um, how uh, we were teaching and training that not only in our volunteers, but also in um, uh, the churches that we would help or work with. And so I've had most of my ministry life just hands-on in the trenches of building culture um, and and, ma and making disciples myself and, and building systems and structures that support the disciple-making process. And um, uh, yeah, so that's what the first 14 years uh, of, of the ministry, my ministry life was all about. Now, just a little bit of background. When Brandon was there, um, the church was studied by a lot of people. I, of course, I became friends with Jim Putman uh, about 15 years ago, and then the process became friends with Brandon and, and have just, you know, watched uh, the church and what it's done. And it was studied. Outreach Magazine and other churches uh, would study it because it was so effective in a very short period uh, growing. I think originally it was like 8,000 after eight years or something like that all built around Jesus-style disciple-making. And so Brandon was a part of that. And then, Brandon, uh, walk us through uh, leaving Real Life Ministries and ending up in Texas and tell us the story there. Yeah, <clears throat> so um, I really sense God was bringing my time there at Real Life to a close because God was doing and growing and pushing some things in me and, um, and felt a, a call to plant a church. But also, as you said, there were a lot of churches that we were working with and helping and that and that had reached out to us. And, and one of those churches was here in Houston, and, and it was called the Met, the Metropolitan Baptist Church here in Houston. And some of my great friends over there, Matt Robertson and, and the team there at the Met. And, and um, I came down, felt a call by the Lord to come down and help them and help them make some transitions from... <clears throat> a kind of a more show-based model to a more Jesus's methodology of disciple-making model and help to start shift the culture and, and build into that culture 
And so I spent a couple of years there. The whole time in my heart and mind is that God had put there to go and senior lead and to, to plant a church. And um, so my season and time there at the Met, they did a great job. They are doing a great job and made um, some of those transitions. And they're, they're making disciples in that church. And, and um, it was time to step away and, and um, let them um, carry that on. And um, the Lord opened the door and opportunity to plant um, in Northwest Houston in a town called Tomball. And so uh, my wife and I and several others were praying and meeting in the backyard and and um, started with a small group and, um, and making disciples and that continued to grow and got added to it. And, and uh, we eventually launched um, Real Life uh, Real Life Texas. And so, uh, Brandon, what was the launch date when you started, you know, uh, putting up a shingle and for people to join you? What was that date? It was in November of 2016. Okay, yep. November of 2016. So basically, four and a half years ago. Correct. Exactly. Okay. So uh, when you launched, uh, I know before you launched publicly, you of course had uh, small groups making disciples. How many groups did you have before you launched? Uh, we had about eight small groups, and we were about a hundred. 80 to 100 folks when we launched our first service. Okay. And then uh, since that time, of course, the backbone of everything that you did in the church is what you teach in the book we're going to get to. But it's disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Mm -hmm. So tell us the story over the last four and a half years. How has that gone? Uh, and you've also started planting churches. So if you would, <coughs> excuse me, it's not about numbers. It's about disciples who make disciples. So ultimately, it's going to be the numbers of people not gathered to hear a show, but it's the number of disciples making disciples who are a part of what you're doing. And I know it, it can sound just like a little bit different, but the nuance is important. And then in four and a half years, you're not only gathering a lot of people, but you're also planting other churches already. Give us the story for the last four and a half years. Yeah, so we launched our first service with and had those groups. Um, our our church um, right from the get go, we faced a pretty substantial um, issue. My two daughters were in a car accident, and um, uh, it was pretty catastrophic. Um, they both um, miraculously survived, but but the first six months of our church plant, I was at hospitals and rehab and and walking our family through a, a trauma. During that time, though, our church continued to grow. Disciples were being made, groups were growing. God was adding to our number. So even in the midst of some very, very difficult times, God's methodology works and our people understood. And it was part of the culture, the DNA of who we were to be disciple makers. And so the church continued to grow. We, we, we grew groups and grew at a pretty consistent growth rate um, through that, seeing people come to Christ, seeing, and, and one of the things that I love to watch and track is as we train small group leaders, how many of those are disciple makers, really, how that growth occurs. So in our first real pouring into and concentrated training and development, 
you know, went from 30 people to six months later, it was 50 to six months later, it was 70, you know, and then our last training that we did, <clears throat> we're getting close to 200 people <clears throat> are at that, at that training that we're investing in and developing um, and pouring into. And so now, you know, after four and a half years, even through COVID, you know, our churches, uh, you know, our uh, two Sundays ago, we were at 1100 people and um, getting close to 80 small groups now. And so it's continuing to grow and continuing to make disciples. And, and we were able to launch and plant some churches in 2020. And um, those church are, churches are doing great and they're making disciples as well. And so through the last four and a half years, it's been a heavy, um, you know, just commitment to living out and, and, and maintaining a culture of disciple making and um, watching this continue to grow. Well, the good news for everybody who's wanting to learn more about uh, your experience, both at Real Life in Post Falls and there with the plant at Real Life Texas, is that this book that you've written on disciple-making culture. So um, you had a burden from the beginning, full disclosure. I've been a part of uh, encouraging Brandon to write the book. Uh, but you had a burden on it, and you actually came to me with that burden to write this book. Uh, so tell us about that. Yeah, the, the burden was, uh, you know, over these years of having so many conversations with different pastors, leaders, just elders, staff, you know, staff in the church, and so often people saying, you know, I, I've, I've never been discipled. I don't know how to make a disciple. And there's so many great resources out there, but it always being approached from a from a perspective of kind of programmatic thinking and helping people understand that disciple making is a lifestyle. It's who you are and that that culture has to start with you and that you're living living that out. But it's also the, the burden of helping people understand that disciple making has to be rooted in love and love for God and love for each other and growing in that love for God and love for each other. And, and so the burden for me was to, to give very clear, practical stories, practical examples, not theory, um, things that I've learned, successes, failures about building this culture and a culture that reproduces disciples that can make disciples, all rooted in a, from a biblical foundation and understanding the byproduct that we, of this is being love, love for God and love for others. And so that burden just had become overwhelming to me because of so many conversations with pastors that felt like either they had kind of missed it or that they couldn't ever do it or how do we change this system? God, we're going to plant a new church. Where do and we so begin? And to really give a, a just a practical, clear, hey, here's what I've experienced over 20 years. Here's what the scriptures have taught me. Here's what I've seen in the scriptures of what Jesus do or what Jesus did and what we we can do today and and how to live that out and so that was the burden um behind writing that book and and to to really kind of be a, a coach or a motivation or to tell pastors leaders you can do this yeah. and it starts with you well brandon um let's start there when you're guiding people and uh, we're going to go through the uh the the four key components 
uh, of a disciple-making culture, which uh, is consistent with all the, the trainings that uh, Brandon and Jim Putman and the Relational Discipleship Network make. But, you know, it's the biblical foundation is number one. We're going to come back to that. Uh, intentional leader, a relational environment, and a reproducible process. Now, before we get into systemically and culturally uh, leading a church to be that way, it's got to start with you as the individual. So can we start there? Uh, can you start with uh, what does it mean to say start a disciple making culture if i if i'm listening to this maybe i'm leading a ministry maybe i'm leading a church how does it start with me like what would you coach me to do personally first yeah so i would say the first part is in your own abiding in christ and spending time with the lord in in prayer and and fasting and to, uh, to start to look at who has God put immediately in your life, um, whether it be uh, somebody on your staff or whether it be involved in your ministry, who are the people that are closest around you, your own family, um, your spouse, your kids, um, of whatever that that context looks like for you. Um, if you are leading a small group, um, whatever that that is, those people that are immediately there and, and begin to ask some critical questions. Am I walking with those people similar to the way in which Jesus walked with his disciples? Am I doing life with them? Do I know them? Um, do they know me? Am I transparent and honest with them? Are they transparent and honest with me? Are we applying the scriptures to everyday life? Are we are we studying the scriptures together? Are we? I would take an inventory of your own life, being as being as honest as you can, accurately assessing yourself, and going, "Am I living this out?" with those that are immediately around around me. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, you know, Bobby, you and I have talked about this. I, I can't tell you how many pastors I've talked to that don't have that kind of a relationship with their elders or their staff or the people that are closest to them. They don't really know each other. And, and, I, and I go, how in the world could we'll ever go beyond your question to the church and building any kind of disciple-making movement at all if we don't have an abiding relationship with Christ and an abiding relationship with each other, that, that Jesus doesn't separate those two. If we're abiding in him, we need to abide in relationship with those that are the closest to us. And I think that that's the starting place. And, and again, so often the church wants to run out and get the strategies and the curriculum, and here's all the things we're gonna implement in the programs. And I go, hold on, back that way up and ask some critical questions about yourself and your own life and start there because we cannot give something to people that we don't have ourselves. And um, that's the starting place of that. And that's the that's biblical. That is a starting from a biblical-based foundational place that you yourself are being a disciple maker first. So I'm going to be in relationship with other people. I'm going to be a disciple who's making disciples. I know uh, one of the things that you're real big on is a small group environment is ideal as a disciple-making environment. Um, and uh, uh, one of the things we say, and I, I think you're in agreement with this, actually it goes back to Dallas Willard. Uh, we want to start the revolution before we announce it. 
In other words, like live it out before you're talking to people about it. I, I really think that that's always the first place to start, especially if, if you're leading a ministry or you're in ministry, or even if you're just a volunteer church leader, everybody can cut out, carve out time to focus on disciple making. Uh, I always tell people, everybody can find five hours a week if it's a priority to you as it was to Jesus. Okay, so we're gonna uh, now transition to turning the ministry or the church into a disciple-making environment. And we wanna follow the path of Jesus because ultimately uh, it's the method of Jesus that we wanna build the culture of the church around. Walk us through the first part, the biblical foundation. In the book, you lay out the different uh, chapters. There, there's like 14 chapters, so nice small chapters. But it starts with a biblical foundation. You got to discover it in scripture. You got to focus on it. You got to frame it and adhere to it. What does that mean? Well, <clears throat> I think first from a discover it standpoint, if you're listening to this and you you have a staff or a leadership team or or whatever, is that you yourself and with a group of people to go back and look at and examine the life of Christ, asking the question of what did Jesus model? What did he live out? What do the scriptures tell us? Because you know, one of my favorite passages is First Thessalonians in chapter in chapter one, Paul says it's verse six, to imitate them as they had imitated Christ. Paul says, we're just imitating what Jesus has done. And, and, and this church, the church in Thessalonica, he said, has become the, the most influential church in the whole region of the world. Well, they, he says they became influential because they were imitating. And so Paul wasn't doing anything that he did not learn from Jesus, that he didn't, that, that the early church was just modeling what Jesus had, had given to them. And so discover it means I would really challenge each leader to go back and maybe it's a rediscover of what did the scriptures say about disciple making? What does that lifestyle look like? How did Paul walk with Timothy? What did Barnabas do for Saul who would become Paul? What did Jesus model to Peter, to the three, to the 12? What were all of those, all of those things to go back and discover this process that Jesus calls us to go live out, that he says in, in John chapter 17, I've completed the work that you sent me to do. He says that before going to the cross, that he's completed. He finished. He finished a process of which he started by saying, come follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. The disciples followed him. Jesus created and lived out in this culture that he, he turned them into fishers of men that they then and went and were willing to die for. And so I think the discoverant part is to dive back in and really go to the scriptures, not to, to real life system or to any other, anybody's system, uh, to first go to the scriptures and ask the question, what does it look like? There's practical things beyond that that we can give and teach, but I really encourage people to look at the scriptures. The second part, focus it, is all of those scriptures and the process of disciple making is going to point us back, as I said, to love. Loving God and loving each other and to focus yep. on that. If it is not producing, 
love for God and love for each other, as Paul says, the continuing debt to love one another. Mm. That all the law and the prophets are summed up, as he says, all of the other commandments are summed up into loving your neighbor. If it's not translating into that, Paul would then say, Scripture would tell us, you're just a resounding gong. You're just noise. So, so disciple making isn't just this thing you do because it's cool, it's a good you know, church growth strategy or, you know, it's actually a reflection of loving people and of engaging with them relationally as Jesus did his disciples with a belief that by investing in them and helping them to more faithfully follow Jesus, uh, as we define it, um, following Jesus, being changed by Jesus and joining the mission of Jesus, Love dictates that's the most loving thing you could ever do is to help somebody become that kind of person. Yes, that's well said. Motivated by love, not by, you know, this is a command I got to follow. Correct. Yeah, that's well said. Yes. Yeah, and so I think that the make sure that it's focused there, that we're framing it. That means that we are, for our people, because for so many, this is the first time they've heard it. Um, the churches don't typically teach that. If it's a new believer or a person that's moved in from another church, we have to put it in a frame and a context to, that they understand, that, that they um, can get their uh, head and heart around it. And so being able to frame that um, for your folks and then adhere to it. You know, the temptation to chase all kinds of different programs and the shiny objects that are out there and go, no, this is the hill we're going to die on. We will adhere to Jesus's methodology. And I think this is an important part. And Jim Putman says this, uh, you know, will you hold to this whether your church grows or does not grow numerically just simply because Jesus commanded it? And I, I really believe that. I, I talked to the, to my staff about this. We will adhere to Jesus's message, the gospel, and his methodology, no matter what happens. If yeah. the church shrinks, will we hold to it? Because people don't want to do what Jesus commanded them to do. Um, and, and really being able to be challenged in that and to go, we have to adhere and hold to this. And so that's really the biblical foundation part for me is that we're, we're doing those things based off of what Jesus gave us as his methodology. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay, the second component is intentional leadership. So you want a biblical foundation, okay. We want to be disciples who make disciples. Uh, it's actually being more like Jesus is based on love. Uh, and we're going to really, really hold to Jesus' method as well as Jesus' message. Uh, how does an intentional leader, why is that such an important thing? Yeah, I think it goes back to what we're talking about, starting with you personally and that, and that you live it, that you live it out. It's who you are. It's not what you do. And it continuing to, to be more and more and more of who you are. That's a critical piece of building this into the culture that it has to be transferred from you to a staff or a volunteer leadership, the people in your church. So that only happens by when we choose to live it out. I, I just refuse to preach or talk about something that I myself am not doing. I'm not going to ask my staff to lead a small group and make disciples if I myself am not doing it. Um, I'm not going to plant a church if I'm not if I'm not making disciples here at this church. I don't have the right to send anybody else to go do something that I'm not doing. And so we live it. We live it out as a lifestyle. 
and then finding every way possible within our church to communicate it, whether it be from the pulpit, whether it be in print media, whether it be uh, relationships here uh, in our small group curriculum, uh, our, our, our membership classes, our trainings, everything that we do, we're communicating this, this culture of being disciple makers um, at every chance that we get. And I think um, uh, a lot of times in church, we have so many different things going on that it gets lost in a lot of noise. And um, to have it be your culture, it has to be the one thing that we do. You have to bang that drum over and over and over. And even if it gets boring, you got to keep banging the drum because there's always somebody new that's hearing it for the first time or there's leaders that have forgotten it and you have to say it again. So that's the communication part. And then finally is to prune and be able to look into your culture, into the culture that you have and go, what are things that we have that are unhealthy? that don't lead to disciple making, that actually hinder or a cost. Um, and we need to cut some of that away. And that's why, you know, and, and I've probably had that conversation uh, as much as any conversation with church leaders over the, the years of doing this. Is well, because there's so many programs, right? So many programs. And so many churches have so many programs. You don't have time to make disciples. Because you yeah. gotta keep, keep the machine running. Yeah, the sacred cows, the things they've done for 20 years, they don't even remember why they've done it. And they've got four people that are that are leading that ministry that, and, and it used to have 400 and now it's dead, but they still keep doing it. That kind of thing, stuff needs to be pruned. Um, that's a, it's a healthy thing to prune. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at Discipleship.org. It's our Discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple-making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple-makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Okay, the next component is relational environment. Uh, what is it? Like you say, you got to create it, you got to fight for it, and you got to model it. What do you mean relational environment? Yeah, so if we go back and build off of the, the biblical foundation, and if I'm being an intentional leader, I'm living it, this out, you know, and, and I'm, I'm communicating it and all of that. Then I look at this environment that Jesus modeled, and I have to create a similar environment, an environment to where it's it's transparent and honest. It's an environment of where people feel safe and could be welcomed in and a part of, and, and that we are living and doing life together. It is a relational environment so that we get to know each other's story. We can, you know, one of the chapters I have in there is to fight for it. That means that when there's conflict, that we're going to fight for our relationships. We're going to fight for this, to hold to this process. 
and we're going to love each other through it. That requires an environment, a relational environment to where we can actually have that those disagreements and, and to be able to fight for that. And that is something that needs to be modeled of how you live this out. The And, and the relational environment needs to be modeled because very few people have ever seen it. Um, they desire it. They, they want to be welcomed, loved, cared for, it to be transparent, it to be uh, modeled for them and all of those things, but they don't know what it looks like. Yeah. Let's talk about that just for a second. I want to pause on that because in my observation, this has been one of the most difficult parts of uh, seeking to be a relational discipleship church. And here's what I mean by that. If, if, uh, if we are a part of a program church, and uh, typically a program church is a church that draws its people and organizes itself around uh, the preaching, the praise and worship, and the programs. And so there's this real attractional, and uh, people come in. In some churches, it more emphasizes the praise and worship. Most churches emphasize the preaching or the preacher, and then the programs, whether it be children's program or a student ministry program or, you know, fill in the blank. The thing about that kind of church, and it's the dominant model in North America, is that you can have all kinds of things going on in your life personally, but they don't get brought up. Because oftentimes you're either passively consuming the preaching, praise, and worship and programs or you're ministering, you're helping keep the machine going. And I don't mean to say machine because that sounds disparaging. You're keeping the programs going by volunteering. And so you're putting your time and your money and volunteering for the good things that are done. But the interior life where we're broken, because every one of us has a broken sin nature. And oftentimes in a program-based church, we're not dealing with our brokenness. But when we focus on relational disciple-making, where we're in relationship, we're in these discipling relationships, and it's getting real practical about what it means to follow Jesus, and we're coming face-to-face with Scripture and with each other, when my brokenness comes out in the midst of your brokenness, it gets real messy. Like people get mad, people leave, people uh, are inappropriate. Um, talk to us practically in a church like yours, how you engage that and encourage that and actually celebrate it. Hmm. Yeah. So, it, I go back to it starts with you as the leader. Um, I try to be very transparent about my own life from the pulpit. I, I talk about things that, you know, if I had an argument with my wife, I share that my wife and I argue. I, I try to be an honest and transparent person um, and try to be honest and transparent with my staff and, and encourage that, that we, um, that we're, we're all just people that are broken, that have sin nature, that are trying to follow Jesus. And and um, I don't want to say the fact that, you know, there's nothing special about us, but to, to not elevate ourselves beyond who who we are. 
and and to know that that we should be humble and and understanding that and to be careful to not elevate our position as staff or a pastor that really what we're called to be there and to serve and to love people and to help them in their journey with the Lord. And so if I'm not willing to be transparent from the, from the top of the organization or really the bottom of the organization, if I'm not willing to, to be transparent, why would anybody else? And so I think that that part starts with you. It starts in your own small groups, in your own home, in your own, with my eldership, with my staff, with everybody that we're willing to, to live out a transparent and honest lifestyle. Yeah, I think that's a starting point. And, and then celebrating the fact when we see people overcome addictions or we see people transparent and honest, we don't shame it. We don't. Um, uh, you know, try to ignore it or downplay it, but to acknowledge it, but to not just celebrate, but to heal from it and grow. You know, it, it's great to have. We have a we have a huge um, recovery ministry in our church. It's great to confess your sin, and it's healthy to come in and talk about it. But then what? You've got to grow through that, and we've got we're we're being you know for following Christ, Jesus is changing us, and so sometimes I'll I'll see churches just kind of live and celebrate the sin, but we don't really grow through it, and yeah, and and, it, and we don't see change. Well, we need to promote and push change and and point people to Christ that we are growing and overcoming some of those struggles that we have in life, and so again, that's all part of the culture that starts from. Um, you as a leader, whether it be in your church or in a ministry or wherever, that you're living that out. And yep, it can be scary. Um, the church doesn't always handle some of those things the best, but um, it, it's not easy. Creating yeah. a disciple-making culture is not always easy to do. Well, yeah. I just want to call out, um, because I don't think this is often uh, talked enough about in the glamour of, uh, you know, trying to say, hey, we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to do it Jesus' way. Uh, you know, Jesus' method and model, that's what we're committed to. Um, and it's relationships and it's love. Well, you know what? The closer you get broken, the closer broken people get to other broken people, the messier it's going to get. And the more it's going to require of us that we really do the thing that you talked about earlier, Brandon. And that is that we make a decision <clears throat> that it's going to be about love, Christ-like love. We have a definition of love that I really like. It's a cross-shaped actions for the benefit of others. And uh, it's, it's, it's actions. It's not like how I feel, but it's treating people the way Jesus would, including picking up my cross for others <clears throat> for their benefit. And so... We can just expect it to be real messy. I mean, yep. pornography problems, divorce problems, addiction problems, deceit problems. Uh, it's real face-to-face, life-on-life, heart-to-heart with that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think consistent with, with what Jesus modeled and what Jesus said is I think all of us have to ask, I think a really important question is, do we really want to do this? because it's not going to be easy. <clears throat> you know, I, I refer to Jim. Jim says, if you're looking this for a, for a church growth strategy, you know, uh, you might want to rethink it because 
do we see the church grow numerically? Sure, sometimes. But um, when we get in the trenches with people, kind of what you said, my my friend on staff, Judy, she says, hurt people hurt people. And, and it's true. And do we want to walk those hard things out with people? Because it is a lot easier to just you know, assign people to a program and do some programs and we don't <clears throat> relationally get in the trenches with them. Yeah. Um, but that's not what Jesus did. And so his methodology is, um, it's, it's the right one. It's, it's for sure. It's just not always easy to live out. Yeah. Okay. The last component is a reproducible process. Talk us about, talk to us about what do you mean reproducible process and uh, how does that work? Yeah, so I think it's going into it with the mentality, you know, that we go back to the Great Commission is to go into the world and make disciples, that the, that the mentality walking into it is that it's going to go beyond you as the leader, go beyond me. The, the, the goal is to see disciples made that are going to go and do things beyond you, um, that, that the very, um, the gospel is a gospel of reproduction. It, it demands that it goes beyond us, that um, we hand it off. And so I think you got to approach and know the mentality is we're not just trying to fill a building or hoard people to a space. There is a mentality of where it's going to be sent out. It's going to go. It's going to go beyond us. And so having the right mentality and then asking yourself is what we're doing, is it transferable? Is it reproducible? So every small group or group of guys that I'm discipling, I'm already thinking from day one, who in here am I going to pour into that I'm going to hand this group off to, or I'm going to send them out and reproduce this group. It is a reproducing mindset um, that we see throughout the New Testament. Um, and, and we're all here talking about this today because of, of disciple making. And so to, to think about it and, and then therefore to train and invest in and to develop the people that you are discipling to think the same way, to know that reproduction occurs. It's expected. That's disciple disciples making disciples that are making disciples. And so it is a part of it is a mentality. And then it's training people to do that, equipping them to do it and releasing them to do it. Um, I, you know, I do, in the New Testament, I don't know that we are really called to plant churches. We're called to make disciples. And if we focus on disciple making, churches are born. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's been a big part of our focus here at RLM is people have said, well, how many, uh, I've had this question, how many churches are you planning on planting in 2021? What goals do you have? I don't really have a numeric goal. What I have a goal of is let's keep making disciples and see where the Holy Spirit leads that. It might be one church. We might not plant one in 2021 because we don't have the disciples that are raised up and ready to do that yet. I, I, I don't know. I think we're going to plant more. I see a trajectory that looks like we're going to plant more, but it's all out of disciples that can make disciples first. And so, so you look for you look for the fruit of reproducing disciples, and then naturally that's going to bring up conversations with people who feel called to plant churches to make disciples. Brandon, in uh, 2020, uh, I believe you guys planted four churches. Is that, am I getting that number right? We planted six in 2020. Yes. So it's not just like a hypothetical. It's a it's a real thing because when disciples make disciples and it becomes a culture of disciples making disciples who make disciples, 
that it's just going to spill over. And uh, I love the tagline, we make disciples who make disciples who plant churches that make disciples that plant disciples that plant churches that make disciples. Because yeah. kind of an ongoing process there. So let's get real practical, Brandon. In your small group, so you've got a small group for the purpose of disciple making. And I just want to say that every most small groups that are part of the American church are not about disciple making. So disciple making in a small group environment is a specific mindset. It's an intentional structure. And as part of that, if you're wanting this reproducible process where people are going to go out and replicate what you've done with them, do you tell them that in the very beginning? Very beginning. And they've heard it from the pulpit. They've heard it, like I said, systemically through the church that it's about disciples that are making disciples. And so the very beginning of my small group, we talk about that day one. And we talk about it almost every time we gather that, that we are going to raise up, release. We're going to make disciples. So because the goal, the goal is not, you know, a lot of times people build a small groups system, if you will, for community. We want our people yeah. to experience community. So the goal, the target. Close the back door of the church. People close want to the back door of the church. So the goal then, their win is how many people do we have in small group? That's the end goal. Oh, we've got whatever percent or we've got 200 people in small group or whatever. And then we go, yay, we're winning. And and to me, that's a good thing. It's a measurement along the way, but I wouldn't say that that's winning. Winning is reproduction, disciples that can make disciples and it's going beyond there. And so what I want to look at the course of a year is groups that have branched, apprentices that are in a group that are getting ready to go and make disciples that we're seeing that measurement of reproduction, not just people in community together. So if I'm in your small group and uh, you've invited me to your small group, maybe you're just starting it. How do you tell me that the goal is to multiply? So I would start right out with, in my group explaining, this is the mission Jesus gave us. We're called to go make disciples. I would tell them, if you're in this group, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're learning to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're going to, whatever the, the stories or curriculum or things that we're going to go through, this is a tool that we're going to use to go through and help you grow in your spiritual development and grow in your love for God and love for others. And so we're going to do life together. And we have, uh, and I'll list them in the book, we, we go through guidelines. These are the guidelines of the group that are going to help us have a structure that we have in the group. And we go over those. And um, and, and then we'll, and as we meet, the, and I will say that the end goal of this is that each of you in this group are able to disciple someone else. That eventually you're able to take a group of people and disciple them. And I'll tell them, my goal isn't to keep all of you forever. My goal is to launch and to send you out and for you to do that for someone else. And so I tell them at the get-go, we're not going to be together forever. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that we're not friends, that we don't do other things together, that we don't build relationship and go to a ball game together or whatever. But in this group, our goal is, yes, to be a community together, to love each other, to get to know each other, but the end goal is multiplication. So I will communicate that. I will vision cast it. When it happens, we celebrate it. We pray over it. We we bless it, and we are, you know, that's that's what we do. 
So if I'm in your small group, Brandon, how long typically before you're multiplying the group or where you're leaving to start another one with somebody from the group or uh, how long does that take typically? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would say that there's different, you know, I have, I have done all different facets of, I've branched it where we took half and half. Um, I sent an apprentice with the group and I kept half. I've done it where I have left and left my group with an apprentice and then I went and planted a new one. I've done it where I've sent my apprentice and maybe one other out to start a new group. I've done all kinds of combinations of that. But the first branch is typically somewhere between four to six months after start of where you've got somebody that's more spiritually mature. They've grown up. They understand. They're able to. I've had them apprentice in my group and watch them lead um, and give them opportunities and being able to, to for them to lead and disciple others. Um, I've had some take a year, but that's rare. Um, but I would say probably the average is about for six months, somewhere in there. Okay, so that's pretty rapid reproduction. Uh, what do you say to the people who say, man, we were just starting to become friends and all of a sudden this thing's multiplying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I one is when we talk about, you know, the, the real life training manual that, that I wrote with Jim and, and Avery Willis and we put the wheel and talk about that growth process. It's very important to listen to what we call the phrase phrases from the stage what people are saying based on their growth and understanding when someone says man this is my group i don't want it to branch we're just doing you know to understand where they're at in their growth process that that's it's about them and 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 they're scared and to walk with them spend time with them don't just dismiss it or make fun of it is and to walk with them and go well we're gonna and, and i will vision cast this is the purpose of the group what we're going to do, but we're going to still keep this core, this group of people together. We're going to continue to do life together. And you kind of got to walk them through it. You know, Peter and, and, and the other apostles struggle with some of the self-centeredness and focus and what about us and where are we going to sit and what what's my job and who am I? You know, there was self-centeredness and it, it, it's going to happen and that's okay. It's part of the process. And I just, we communicate through it. We talk through it and there's at times people are afraid but um, we just hit it head on and navigate it and love people through it. And um, I, I don't have a clean, here's the prescription for it. Yeah. Because every time it's different and you see similarities in the, the way that I've seen to deal with it is to love people through it, talk, answer their questions um, and, and keep those that are the most afraid with the core of the group. So they feel like they still have a group together. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, Brandon, I, I want to come back to one last question that I want to spend a little bit of time on, and that's the difference between having disciple-making strategies for your church and a disciple-making culture. In other words, what's the difference between going for a culture versus just you know going for a strategy? But before I do that, I want to encourage everybody that they can get this book. If you're joining us live, you can see the link here inside the discipleship.org collective. Uh, If you're listening to this, you can go to uh, himpublications.org and get that without going through Amazon. Actually, himpublications.com. That's H-I-M publications.com. You can get uh, Brandon's book there, or of course you can get it on Amazon. I'm kind of not so big on Amazon right now because 
concerned about them censoring uh, biblical books and things like that as we move ahead. So I want to encourage people maybe to uh, look at hymn publications, unless you need it real quick. Uh, really good book. want to encourage you to get the book, uh, work through it with your team. So, Brandon, let's come as we close to this question on the difference between a church with a disciple-making strategy and a church with a disciple-making culture. What's the difference? Yeah, well, I, you know, I have the quote in the book that Peter Drucker says, you know, the culture will eat, eat strategy for breakfast. Um, a strategy is, you know, a, a written uh, or formulated um, method to go, uh, uh, it's more programmatic in how we're going to go do this, right? So if we were thinking of a sport, a strategy would be your game plan, okay, to go, um, you know, defeat the opposing team. We're going to, you know, here's our keys or our strategy to win. We got to, you know, we got to run faster. We got to jump higher and we've got to, you know, we, that's the strategic approach. You know, if you watch a, a boxing match, they'll give the strategies beforehand. Well, this boxer needs to do this and this and that boxer needs to do that and that. Those are all the strategies. The culture of that is is the atmosphere and the environment of the team of how they live together the culture is is how the team functions and the values at which they live out together that is what shapes and molds your culture the culture will affect the strategies you can have the greatest strategies in the world but if your culture is not to love each other to not be a team to not all of those things, you'll never execute your strategies. You can write really great strategies on a whiteboard, but at the end of the day, if part of your culture is, is you're not in unity, you're in disunity, part of your culture is I'm, we're going to be individualistic, we're going to be programmatic, we're going to be not together, that's your culture, then it doesn't matter the strategy that you have. And the culture will eat that strategy for breakfast. Yeah, And so, and here's the thing, every single church, no matter what, you have a culture. Unfortunately, sometimes the cultures are, it's a culture of, uh, you know, of criticism. It's a culture of, of uh, disunity. It's a culture of, you know, some pretty unhealthy things can exist in the culture. And so I think knowing the difference, we need to have strategies are good. We have strategic things that we do in our church but it has to be driven by the culture not not in conflict with it and allow the culture to permeate support the strategy that you're implementing and so i think it's important to separate the two Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope that this episode was helpful for you, and I hope that you'll go over to Amazon and purchase Disciple Making Culture today. So mark your calendars, November 4th and 5th, 2021. We are hosting another National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville at Bramwell Baptist Church. You can purchase tickets over at discipleship.org, and I really look forward to seeing you all there. Have a great day. I'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh